Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, hello and welcome to the Forming Church Podcast. It is good that you are here. Hello, Will. Hello, Bench. Hello, everyone. Well, Bench, it seems like there is something about people with the name Louise. <laughs> There's something about Louise. There's something about Louise. Seriously, you may recall, dear listener, if you were a season one listener, uh, our episode with Louise Bartlett. You probably will recall it because at this point in time, it is our most listened to episode. It is. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, if you haven't listened to season one yet, what are you doing? Stop. You can pause this podcast and go all the way back. I'm, I'm a big advocate of working through the whole back catalogue. I know you are. You, you, <laughs> I'm, I'm just you just loose. go anyway. You're but you should. Look, they're all good. You should listen to them. But these, what Louise's have in common basically all Louises from what I'm gathering on my, based on my sample size, is that all Louises help you to see the world from a perspective that you often uh, neglect to look from. So Louise Bartlett did that in relation to how we view kids in our churches as fellow disciples and how we think about their experience through their eyes. And Louise Gosbull, Louise our Gosbull. guest on this episode, uh, has done a similar thing thinking about people who have um, disabilities or who face uh, accessibility issues in the way that we commonly do church. Yeah, she she is the dean of students at and and a lecturer of, of the New Testament at Mary Andrews College in Sydney, and she's done a whole bunch of work around kind of the intersection of disability and inclusion and theology and biblical studies. So it's a really interesting area, an interesting area that we need to get better at as a church. Um, that I personally need to get better at, and so this is a really good conversation to open your eyes a little bit, get a broader perspective, and uh, it's, it's a good thing. Here is our conversation with Louise Goswell. This episode is brought to you by Baptist Care, a leading non-profit Christian organization serving the aged and people living with disadvantage for over 75 years. Did you know that as well as providing residential aged care, Baptist Care's Hope Street sites create safe spaces for disadvantaged and distressed individuals facing issues such as domestic violence, homelessness, mental health, or addiction issues. If you want to make a difference in your community, then volunteering with Baptist Care is a great way to do that. You can join the team as a pastoral care volunteer, or help serve at a Hope Street site, or visit residents in aged care homes. On Forming Church, we're always talking about ways that church can connect with the neighbourhood. And volunteering with Baptist Care is a fantastic way to do that. To get involved or find out more, visit baptistcare.org.au. Louise Gosbull, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, right up front, I just have to ask, do people um, commonly make the joke about the Gosbull according to Louise? Uh, unfortunately, yes, they do. And when you teach theology, it happens a lot, I can assure you. <laughs> so it's and not funny. No, <laughs> sorry, no, it's not funny anymore. And my husband's name is Mark. And so that actually makes wow. it worse as well. As you I can love imagine. that. I love that. 
Oh, that's good. Can you uh, give us a little snapshot into the normal weekday of uh, Louise Gosbel? Well, it's a bit different this year to what it was last year. Uh, last year for us, I was homeschooling my 13-year-old and my 16-year-old while I was lecturing from home during COVID. So that was a very interesting experience. Um, but both of my two younger daughters have gone back to school this year and uh, we're slowly making the transition back from home into the office at Mary Andrews College where I lecture. So mostly back on campus now and a little bit of work from home. So my role is Dean of Students. I look after students, um, student support, and I do some lecturing in New Testament. Uh, so it's been a big adjustment for all of us this year. So our weekends are quiet still at the moment as we're all adjusting and we're slowly making the transition to get back into um, face-to-face church. Um, but we have been doing mostly online church. Yeah, cool. So one of the uh, the major benefits that people have enjoyed with the, you know, the beginning of online church being a mass spread activity is that lots of people have uh, been able to go to church in their pyjamas. Um, you did some writing about how for your family there was some additional benefits than just being able to watch church from the couch. Would you be able to share a little bit of the story there? <laughs> Yeah, sure. No, I have done a bit of writing on that. I It was interesting, actually, because um, it wasn't something I suppose I'd thought too much about. But then when we were at home, there were some unexpected blessings from being able to do church at home for us. So our youngest daughter has a complicated um, experience with her health. So she's got a lot of different things going on for her sensory processing. She has a condition called ectodermal dysplasia, which means she can't moderate her own body temperature. So she's prone to overheating and she's got quite significant anxiety. So church for her has been quite difficult, especially the last couple of years. So the noise um, gets to her, the lights, the people, and mum talks too long to people after church, you know, all of these things that can make the church experience quite challenging for her. And so suddenly to be at home uh, with her ragdoll cat happily sitting on her lap, sitting in front of the TV where you can control the temperature, you can control the sound, you can control the lights, all of a sudden she was able to concentrate better on what she was learning than she's ever been able to do in face-to-face church. Mm. So that was really unexpected for us to see her asking these really um, deep questions that were coming out of sermons and so on um, because she was just able to relax and concentrate on what she was listening rather than worrying about all of these other factors that were impacting her. So I was quite surprised then as I started to raise this with people, how many other people were in a similar position who went because of my depression or because of my anxiety or because of my chronic health issues, online churches opened up this world of opportunities for people. So it's been really interesting to hear that that's been such a common experience for a range of people with different kinds of disabilities. Yeah, that's great. And I think, um, you know, the church hasn't always done a great job at thinking through that. I know I personally haven't done a great job at thinking through that as a church leader. Um, what what do you see further at large with, you know, um, disability or, you know, a whole range of different things which would stop someone from engaging with church in a traditional sense at a building at a certain time with a certain noise level and, you know, access issues, all that sort of stuff. What, what do you see on a large scale in Australia, around the world? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of people across the planet who've been wanting online church for a long time, you know, who've 
really been arguing that this is something that would be beneficial for a lot of people with different disabilities. And I keep hearing people say online church is not real church. And I understand people's concerns about that. But the reality is when the choice is between online church and no church, then online church is a really good second best. When you cannot leave your house for whatever reason, whatever your condition is, you've got a volatile immune system, you've got, um, you know, you, you go undergoing cancer treatments, you might be in palliative care, all of these things that stop people going um, to physical church, suddenly online church still gives you this option to hear the worship and hear the sermon and be involved in some kind of way. So I don't think it's a perfect substitute for face-to-face, -face, but I think it has a unique place to be able to serve um, a lot of people who are on the margins of church communities. So I guess my hope is moving forward that churches would, instead of rushing to get back to normal, that's what I keep hearing, let's get back to normal. You know, I just want churches to sort of think, okay, what can we do? Is there anything from this we can keep moving forward? Because we've seen that it's actually been beneficial to some people in our church communities. So I know I have some deaf friends and they said that for them, the COVID experience was the best opportunity they've ever had in hearing churches to be able to get to know people. And the reason was because on Sundays, people look at them and they think, oh, it's too hard to go and talk to them. Even when their interpreter is there, I, I don't know how to do this. I feel uncomfortable. And yet being in online church meant when they were going out into breakout groups, people had no choice. They were suddenly there in the group with these deaf friends of ours and their interpreter. And so they got to know all of these other new people that they would never have gotten to meet otherwise. So for them, it was just this really enriching experience of getting to know people in their church that they hadn't been able to, to get to know before. So I think I'm just hopeful that we won't just ditch online church so quickly in our rush to get back to normal and think, yeah, what can we hang on to? What's worked? You know, what's been helpful in terms of Bible study groups, you know, that people can join via Zoom for those now as well in a way that we weren't open to doing before. And I know that's been hugely beneficial to a lot of people that I know who've been unwell or who have children with complex disabilities as well. Mm. I think this stuff is so good to hear for any of us just as a reminder. You know, I probably fall into the temptation of going, oh, man, I'm just over Zoom or I'm just over doing things online. But even that speaks to my privilege that it's just such an easy thing to go, I just ditch that and go back to another option when that has enabled an option that hasn't been there in any form for some people. So it's just good stuff to hear and be, you know, have our eyes open to. Um, it's easy even in this conversation though for it to still kind of gravitate around the Sunday service. And I'd be interested in your thoughts around just a broader picture you know, we think about the church as something that's bigger than a Sunday service. What are some of the other areas and maybe some of the other, I don't know, strategies we need to adopt to look at inclusion in the, the broader life of the church? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, so Bible study is definitely a good example of that. So I know one woman who, uh, she's a single mum and she has a 10-year-old son with quite a complex um, series of disabilities and she's always found it really hard to belong to a Bible study group and people seem to have this idea that uh, and I know I've been told this myself actually if you can't commit to being uh, to coming every week 
then basically you can't be in this group at all. Mm. And so I have a chronic hip injury and for me it flares up. Sometimes it's okay, sometimes not so much. And so I know there's been times I've had to say, sorry, well, I just can't commit. So then I just miss out on being in Bible study when there's actually times I could have been there at least every fortnight or something like that. And I know this mother has had that same experience that she's been told, well, unless you can come every week, then really you can't come. We don't want you in the group. Um, but I think through COVID, it was interesting because she could join via Zoom and suddenly everyone in her Bible study group realised how complicated her life was. Mm. Oh, it really isn't that she's, you know, lazy or she actually is not desirous of being there. But she has a, a son who has seizures, who needs medication that needs to be settled. And suddenly they all witnessed how difficult her life was and they were able to go, right, I think we need to get better at being on rosters and supporting you. And now they've made it so that everyone can just participate online if that's what they need to do. So come if you can, but come on Zoom if that's what the only option available is for you. So that's an incredible opportunity for people to still be able to meet together and pray and read God's word together. I think we we probably make a lot of assumptions about what people can and can't do that probably limit people's experiences as well. So we might assume that a family with a child with a disability will never come on a weekend away without actually ever sitting down and saying, what could we do to make this work for you so that you would be able to come? Or we've noticed that you tag team coming to church. Mum comes one weekend with the other kids, dad comes the next with the other kids, but your child with a disability never comes. You know, what could we do to make you be able to come to youth group, come to kids' church, whatever it might be? So, you know, a lot of that I think has to do with dialogue and opening up conversation with people uh, and just not making assumptions about what someone can and can't do and how they might be yeah they might actually want to be connected but just um yeah there, there hasn't been a door that's open to offer them that opportunities to be able to be involved so i think it's being willing to listen to people um so the big part of that i think is asking the question you know what can we do to make church more inclusive do you feel like there's parts of our church you cannot access either in a physical building space or are there ministries you feel like you can't, you know, connect to because of your disabilities? So I think asking those questions is really helpful to find out what might be inaccessible for people in our churches. Mm. I Yeah, it strikes me as all these issues, um, you know, when you look at them from far away, can be black or white. You know, like I think about online church and I, and I think I, as a pastor, I really do not like online church because we had to do it. Yeah. Um, but then when you when you get closer into people's lives, it's it's more nuanced there's, there's a lot more grey there. There's good and bad in in every situation. I think about that, you know, uh, with everything that we design as as churches or ministries, when we're designing, you know, uh, spaces and environments, when we're designing architecture and our buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is in a role like ours? You know, we lead churches um, and maybe, you know, I, I don't have anyone uh, that's disabled within my church um, but I want to continue to, you know, forge a way and continue to have access for everyone, um, you know, and, and the range of range of different things that goes on uh, for people. How, what advice would you give us uh, to continue to sort of forge forward? Because it's so easy to have a conversation like this and then go, yeah, that's awesome. I want to do that. And then the reality of my life is, you know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on and just falls to the wayside. Any advice for someone like me? 
Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is I bet you probably do have people with disability as part of your congregation and you're probably not aware of it. That would be my first thing that I would say. Um, I encourage churches to do um, a community audit. And so the idea is that you actually give out a questionnaire to everyone in your church community and ask questions about disability and accessibility. So I've just um, written a disability handbook for the Sydney Diocese of the Anglican Church um, and it's got a, a sample of that kind of community audit in there. But I always encourage people to just to open up that dialogue and ask those questions. So, you know, do you have a disability? Do you have a family member with a disability? Uh, and even if you don't, what are your thoughts on what we do well in terms of access and what we could do better? Because I would be very surprised if you had no one come back to say that they, um, yeah, that no one has a disability in your church. Um, but if that's the case, then I think you also need to ask why that would be the case because the Australian statistic is that one in five people have a disability, one in five, 20%. So if we don't see that reflected in our church communities, I think we really need to pause and ask why that is the case. What are we doing that might be preventing people from actually coming into our church? Is it the physical access? Do we not have ramps? Do we not have accessible bathrooms? Or do we have no pictures on our website that might indicate where you need to come into the building or things like that that might actually be encouraging? So I think that the best point to start with is just raising the conversation, starting it with your community of people. Who do we have here that has a disability? What experience you might have people who are, uh, you know, special ed teachers, who are OTs. Uh, occupational therapists who might be able to walk around your church building and say, actually, if we moved this a little bit this way, or if we put in a portable ramp here, suddenly we can change the layout. So to find out the knowledge that's in your church and the experience of people that are in your church, I think that's a really helpful way to get the ball rolling. And it helps you to find out perhaps there is someone who has significant mental health issues and Perhaps people think they're just a bit of a flake or they never go on church rosters and they might actually share, actually, I find church really hard, you know, and here's the reasons why it's hard. And you can actually start to begin to address those issues if someone shares that with you. Or you might find um, there's someone who is a wheelchair user who's never volunteered to read the Bible during the service, but they might have always wanted to, but there's no ramp to the stage so they just assume oh well I, obviously I can't do the reading so it's about thinking well what can we do differently maybe we can bring the microphone down to the floor instead revolutionary concept <laughs> isn't it but it just takes thinking outside the box a little bit I think so yeah conversation I think is the first port of call mm. it strikes me that we can um we can be accommodating you know we can have the ramps we can kind of tick the boxes we can create inclusion at a observational level. You're welcome to come and be accommodated in this space, but there's a step further, isn't there, in going, how do we actually learn from uh, people with mixed abilities? How do we actually worship learning how, how you might give us another perspective and kind of restoring dignity? It just feels like there's um, – I, I used to work in a space where we had to put in a wheelchair ramp and we did that and it was almost like there was this moment where it was like, oh, we've done it and then we got somebody to come in and walk us through the space and they're like, well, the bar over here is too high and if you look at this thing from somebody who's at a different height or is in a wheelchair, it all changes and it just was this moment for me of realising genuine inclusion is obviously um, not just accommodating, it's going that next step of how do we actually 
help you to integrate, to be someone who, who serves here, to be someone who has a voice here. Um, do you have any thoughts of where you've seen that done well, where you've seen it go beyond accessibility into integration? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you're absolutely right. I think what we can end up doing is saying, you know, we're the church over here. We are the church. And so we will make accommodations to let you over there outside come into our communities. If you're lucky, you know, if we're nice about it, we'll let you come in. And it is quite an exclusionary attitude. Um, so I think you're spot on in saying there is a big difference between claiming that we are the body of Christ over here and we'll let you in, which I think is you know, not good theology to start off with um, and actually saying we are a community of people with diverse abilities and skills all together in the one place. And I think, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 and the image of the body of Christ is a fantastic place to start there because, you know, Paul is really messing with uh, an image from the ancient world where everything was hierarchicalized. It was, you know, some parts of the body were really valuable and the rest were really nothing. Why would you want to have anything to do with dirty feet, for example, or the unpresentable parts? And Paul does this completely revolutionary thing in taking this metaphor to say, actually, uh, we are the body of Christ, but all of the members of that body of Christ have a valuable role to play. We're all just as valuable as each other. And all of the parts of the body serve one another and they are interdependent. Uh, and what I really love about that image too is that we help to reveal the spirit to one another, that that's what we do as members of that body. That to me doesn't seem like, sorry, you can't be in this if you can't hear or you can't see or you're a wheelchair user. There's no caveats there, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12. Oh, sorry, Paul didn't let, you know, think you were actually going to be part of this body of Christ. Everyone has the role to play. And I think it can be really helpful for us to really um, think about what that interdependence looks like because I think our world values independence and autonomy and I think sometimes we can look down on people with disabilities because we think you're not as independent, uh, you're not as autonomous or you need people to help you and actually we shouldn't be aiming for independence anyway as the body of Christ. We mm. should be focusing on interdependence and this interconnectedness. So um, to be wholly dependent is what we all are on God, actually. So I think theologically thinking through this, we have a great model for what it means to actually do church well and value all of the different members, uh, recognising they all have different roles to play, but helping them to find out what that role is and to be able to do that well in service to all of the other body parts. So that's kind of more of a theological answer than a practical answer this episode is brought to you by mauling college as well as their great theological study options mauling run free courses open nights and public events on topics like transforming vocation faith in action bioethics and more and if you're a church planter they even run a church planting course called sent they have a range of scholarships campuses in Perth and Sydney, as well as online study options. You can find out more at mauling.edu.au. It's been interesting. I've, the last few years, besides the COVID year, um, I attend a big conference in America each year on theology and disability, and I've learned a lot from being over there, actually. It's interesting in Australia. I think we have an idea that 
things of inclusion sort of belong to uh, the charity arms of our churches. You know, that's what Baptist care do. That's what Anglicare do. Or isn't that what the NDIS is for? So we sort of have this idea of, oh, yeah, if you can come to church, that's fine. But if you need help, you need to go and see these other branches. Um, we don't sort of see it all as being our in-house responsibility. In a way, I think churches have never done before. You know, historically, the church was the place where you would go and drop off unwanted babies or if you were sick or elderly, you would go to the church. And I think we've sort of farmed that out a little bit in Australia. So it's been amazing actually to be in the US the last couple of years and see a lot of fantastic examples of churches who just take this uh, really seriously in wanting to include people with disability. I think because of the sort of the way their medical system works over there in the US, it's very complicated. I think there's a greater understanding of it's the church's role and obligation to be looking after um, the marginalised members of the community. So there's some really good models and really good ministries that are coming out. Lots of churches in the States have um, people who are specifically pastors over issues of disability and inclusion. You know, there's a lot more theological colleges where you can study disability over there than there is here in Australia. Um, yeah, so I think that it's higher up on the theological agenda than it is here. You can go through your whole theological training without disability ever being mentioned once. That's the reality. I think of my undergraduate degree in theology, I can't imagine that disability ever came up once in that three years. It wasn't until I went on to do it for my master's and then my PhD that um, I really grappled with it from a theological perspective. But that surprises me. As I said, one in five people, and yet we're not prepared for this in our theological training. We don't know how to counsel someone who um, becomes disabled or has a child with a disability. We don't know what to say. We don't understand the grief that someone might go through um, or think about the accommodations that we need to make. So I think it's not high enough on our theological agenda in, in many churches in Australia or in our theological institutions. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a common danger and I think it probably comes with our privilege, you know, in various forms, but we just can sort of assume that everyone experiences the world like we do. And it's not until we're actually, you know, exposed to something that highlights and confronts us with the fact that not everyone sees the world like we do, that that's the moment when we actually have to think differently. This is a great conversation, but I think like Benj was sort of saying before, it's possible to leave a conversation like this and sort of just forget about it. Do you have any, uh, I don't know, practices or kind of regular things that help it to continue to like bump up on the priority list? that people could kind of, you know, have a look at having in their context to make sure that it's not something that just slips away? Yeah, so another one of the things that I've recommended in the handbook that I've just finished writing is uh, to actually create an inclusion committee as part of your church. So to get the ball rolling is to do that community audit and find out people's experiences within the church. People often have invisible disabilities as well, which, mm. you know, you might not even have on your radar too. Um, to do that community audit and then actually create an inclusion committee that you can then discuss things and you can start putting things in place. And so some of those things are big picture things and they take a while to save up like a ramp or, you know, putting accessible bathrooms in. But some of those things you find can be really quickly and easily um, fixed. 
So once you start to put things on the radar, then you start to realize, oh, wow, I've never thought about the fact that we don't have large print versions of our bulletins or we have no large print Bibles in our, in our churches. And so to actually allocate, uh, you know, an individual or a group of people that can help keep that on the radar is something that I think is really valuable. You know, make sure that the accessible bathroom isn't being used as a place to store the extra paper plates from the kitchen, which happens in lots of churches, I can mm. assure you. Um, you know, or just checking over things like large print or, you know, that someone knows what the policies are with things like... Um, you know, making sure there's a hearing loop in the church or do you have lights that flash, not just make noises if there's a fire alarm that goes off, you know, because if someone is deaf in your church or low, you know, is hard of hearing, they're not going to necessarily hear those alarms, but is there lights that go off? So you can get checklists and I've got a simple one in, in my handbook, but a, a starting points for people to start thinking about changes that they can make. So making sure you've got the right fonts and font size on your PowerPoints. None of this costs money, but they're things that make a difference to people's experience of being mm. included. And the thing that I always say to people is the changes that you make to accommodate people with disability, I absolutely guarantee you they will have a broader impact on your church community as well. Because when you make the font a little bit bigger and a little bit clearer, it's not just people who are diagnosed with having low vision, but it's people who are starting to get a little bit older and might have lost a bit of vision or people who are English as a second language, for example. You know, the same thing when you put subtitles on all of your videos. So things like this, which we might see as accommodation specifically for people with disability, actually end up benefiting everyone in the community or a very large percentage of the people in your community and make it easier for everyone to actually access church. So I think starting the dialogue and then having people, you know, actually committed to continuing that dialogue is a really helpful thing to do for churches. Um, I was sort of just thinking back on something you said just a, a minute ago around the difference between Australia and America in, the, in terms of, you know, our, our social system, Medicare and NDIS is, you know, in objectively better than uh, the US. But that, that causes us to, as a church, farm off some of our responsibility um, are there any gaps that you see in the Australian kind of social context that the church really needs to step up in? Even though we've got these things, we've got the NDIS, we've got Medicare, what are the things that you feel like the, the church really needs to step in and take responsibility of? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there's probably a lot of things, but I know for us, I know for a lot of families, you, you feel like you spend your whole week having to argue for why your child should be included or, you know, why they should be able to have um, a support worker in the classroom with them or why they should get their NDIS funding, whatever it is. You're constantly in this argument with people about why, <laughs> why you want your child included in this certain thing, whether it's a sports program or at school or medical access, whatever it is. So even with those you know, amazing things that we've got with Medicare and NDIS, it still isn't completely smooth sailing. There are still challenges. And so what I find, though, is the last thing that Christians want to do when they get to Sunday is have to have those same arguments with the church community. 
but it is often what people hear. You know, I'm sorry, it's too much hassle for us to change a program for one child. You know, it's too much hassle for us to think about doing something else. Yeah, we know youth group is really loud and not every kid likes loud church or loud youth group, but that's the way we do it. So that's it, you know. And so if that's the answer you get, it's exhausting then. And you think it is just easier to not go or to not send you know, your child to to youth group or the children's program and so on. So I think it's recognising that our social systems only get us so far. They're never going to get us full community engagement and they're never going to get us access to the gospel. That's the reality. So there might be a great substitute for getting you funding or making sure your kid gets in a local sport program. But that true fellowship and connection that you can really only get in church communities if that's not available to people because there's no ramp or everyone stares at the kid who makes too much noise on Sundays, then I think there's something really sad about that and, and what it is that represents the heart and the message of the gospel and the church communities, that's not going out to families with people with disability. You know, that's the reality. So I think there is a world of difference then between social systems and what we can offer in the gospel message and demonstrating the love of Jesus in our church communities. Mm. Oh, lots of good stuff there. I just want to uh, loop back. We're coming towards the end of our conversation, but sort of loop back to the beginning. You know, we talked about online church and Zoom and, and the place those things have had. Um, and it can feel like um, there is that temptation, like you've said, for people just to go back to normal or back to how things were before, um, do you have kind of looking forward, if you just imagine five or ten years from now, what you would see as a really healthy and flourishing vision of an integration of both online and offline um, technologies working together? Yeah, I guess there's two things that I'm hopeful for. One of them is that we will keep some kind of online thing going on. And I know that means extra work for, for ministers and church communities to think about how that makes, you know, how to make that work. But, you know, I hope we can get better at thinking, thinking about, okay, such and such a person is now in palliative care, but are they still able to, to watch the service somehow? Or this family have just undergone this massive surgery with their child with a disability, but the mother would still love to be able to pray in church. Can we record that beforehand and actually be able to play that in church um, instead of, well, sorry, you just can't come or, you, you know, there's no way we can integrate that. So thinking creatively about how we can integrate those things together, I think is fantastic. But at the same time, I guess what makes me nervous also is thinking that it's the solution is just to have all people with disabilities doing online church and everyone else, you know, in the building, because there's a danger in that as well, because then we all don't get to be together as the body of Christ and learn from one another and serve one another and so on as well. So I think we also have to reflect on the practices that we have that become exclusionary, that make it hard for people to be connected. So I guess my hope is twofold. We will still continue to think about how technology can work to serve people, but also think, gee, there's people who just don't want to come back. Why do they not want to come back? 
Um, is it because we roll our eyes and tut when they come in late and we, you know, give death stares to the people whose children make too much noises? You know, what are we doing in our practices, in our approach, in our treatment of people that they just say, you know what, this is in the too hard basket for us. So can we reflect on the way that we run our programs, you know, the way that our websites look, the information that's there? Are they accessible to someone with a screen reading device, for example, our websites? How do we present ourselves as communities that are inclusive uh, and then demonstrate that inclusiveness well so that people will feel like church is actually going to be more inclusive and face-to-face -face is doable rather than feeling like they need to be at home. So I'm hoping we can look at those two things simultaneously as we move forward. But it's a great chance, you know, for us to reboot. We've got a great opportunity to go, okay, we've pulled the plug on church. We've started it up again. What do we want this to look like going forward? And so hopefully this is the time to actually be asking those questions. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. We're going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, a, a one word or one sentence answer. Are you, no are you okay. ready? What if I say no? Well, then we'll just, we'll, okay. uh, it'll be an awkward end to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go okay. for it. Okay, here you go. What do you think is the biggest danger to the future of the church in Australia? I think an answer a lot of people would give right now is apathy. I think people are concerned that people are lazy and wanting to stay at home. Um, maybe that's what the answer is, but maybe it also is that we're, yeah, we need to be focusing on community. So perhaps it's anti-community. Is that a word that would be the danger to the church? We'll take mm. it. We'll take it. Uh, what is giving you hope right now about the future of the church in Australia? Well, even being on your podcast is giving me hope. You know, I can think of times over the years where I was talking about disability, people had no interest, and yet here we are having a fantastic conversation about what it means to make church uh, inclusive for people. So having this conversation, having disability on the radar and having people interested, that's a huge, a huge thing, a huge sign of hope for me. So thank you. Are there any uh, books or podcasts that you're listening to right now that you'd recommend? Uh, there is, well, I love the Bible Project podcast. People are really, um, I really enjoy that. I think they really put theological terms together really well. Mm -hmm. um, there is a podcast, which is not a Christian podcast, but it's a disability podcast called Two Peas in a Podcast, which is a really interesting podcast about, um, yeah, pe people's experiences of living with disability. So that's something I've only just been introduced to. That is a fantastic name. Isn't it fantastic? <laughs> so <Yeah>. good. <laughs> Um, if you had one book that you could have infinite copies of to give out to anyone, who would what what would that book be? Is that a trick question? It's, Am I supposed okay. to say the Bible? We need to change or? the way we need to change the way we ask this question because <laughs> people always then ask that follow up question. We're assuming that they've yep. all, you've already given them the Bible. Now, okay, now you've okay. got one other additional work of literature that you can give them. I would probably say anything by John Swinton. So John Swinton's work on disability, on mental health, on dementia. He's just, he has these beautiful concepts of Christians needing to rethink about what time is and spending time with one another. So any, anything John Swinton I would rave about. Nice. What, uh, what two or three sentences would you leave with someone who is, you know, looking to start something new, church plant, missional endeavour, social enterprise, 
uh, what words would you leave them with today? I think it would be really easy to jump to um, matters of law. You know, the Disability Discrimination Act says we need to make reasonable accommodations. So it'd be really easy to fall back to, you need to think about what the legal, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The legal responsibilities are for making churches inclusive and so on. But I actually think the best model that we have is, is the message of the gospel. You know, it is a message that is about uh, inclusion for all people. This is a message that is meant to go to all people. And yet we, I think we draw some lines. We have little boxes about how far we actually take that gospel message. And I love the images of the parable of the banquet, for example, of going out into the streets and bringing in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Or the men in Mark 2, you've got that beautiful story of these men who have their, um, their friend who is paralysed and they go up onto the roof of the house and they literally pull out the roof so that their friend can have access to Jesus. That's an incredible image. And I just think, what are we doing to go out? What are we doing to break down barriers, literally ripping out roofs in order to make sure that we are giving people access to Jesus? So I think people need to be thinking about those questions. I'll drop the mic on those. Thanks. That was very good. Where can people engage with your work and connect with you if they, if they want to after this conversation, Louise? Yep, so you could, uh, all of, a lot of my writing is available on the Academia website or the best way to get in touch with me would probably be through my home college, which is Mary Andrews College. So you can contact me easily, easily enough through the Mary Andrews College website, which is mac.edu.au. Wonderful. Louise, thank you so much for your time and uh, all the thought and uh, thinking you've put into this area and... Um, you know, we've got a long way to go as a church. And so I appreciate your, your voice. And uh, obviously that, that comes with, with a bit of tiredness from times when you're trying to speak, but no one's listening or, or, you know, you're trying to advocate and it's hard. So I just wanted to thank you for that. And thank you for the years that you've been doing that. Um, Keep going. We need it. Thank you. And thanks again for being willing to have me and to have this conversation. As I said, it's a great uh, encouragement to me as well. So thank you. There it is, everyone, and Bench. There it is, another Louise in the books. Part of the Louise Club. Do you think they have a, a group where they, they gather the Louises who are trying to open people's th- eyes to I think new perspectives? It, I think at the very least they have like a Facebook Messenger group chat. At the, at the very least. Yeah. The Louises. The Louises, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. That's good. What stood out to you? There was honestly a lot that stood out to me. You know, I kept thinking during that conversation, we've talked obviously about the difference between our two churches um, in terms of size and things like that. But, you know, part of the the calling of my church, part of what we often talk about is to be a church for people who face barriers to um, feeling feeling like really comfortable or safe in a lot of mainstream churches. Mm. I often think about that through certain categories, but I continue to realize that there are more and more categories of people that feel excluded for a various range of reasons. And so this conversation just was like, oh, like physical disabilities is another one of those areas where our church to really be true to what we set out to do, we need to be thinking constantly about how it's safe for people of all ability levels to come and participate. Yeah. Yeah. 
It, it is an interesting thing. And I think as a church planter, it is actually really quite difficult because you're you're trying to form this new thing. You're trying to get your, you know, your minimum viable product <laughs> to, to use crass business terms, but you tr- you're trying to get something off the ground, something that's sustainable, that's mm. got rhythm to it, building community. And uh, there is actually so much that we we miss, right? Mm. We don't see. And um, the the takeaway for me was just the kind of the in in, a, in the Australian context, how much the government actually does do uh, means that sometimes what the church has historically done, you know, all through history for two thousand years, is to be you know the the social net for people to to reach out to the least, the last, the lost, you know. And um, I think it's so easy to kind of farm that off to the government or certain sectors of the government and feel like we're doing okay. Mm. Um, but the church's role, as Louise so beautifully painted at the end there around uh, that that story in Mark, you know, the friends like ripped, ripped the roof off to mm. make space. And I think the church is meant to be that. And so it's, it's so easy to miss that. But we need conversations like this to cons- consistently r- remind ourselves. And we need people in our lives to mm. remind ourselves. So some of her practical tips around kind of next steps for churches were, were really good. Yeah. I think like many topics that we've talked about, it comes back to that. Are you actually having conversations with people in your church who have, um, yeah, disabilities or or who face um, accessibility, you know, sort of issues? Are you actually having conversations with those people rather than making assumptions and yeah. decisions uh, on their behalf? Um, another thing that made me think though, you know, given that we talk a fair bit about being a network of kind of diverse churches, is that not every church can be everything to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Now, every church should be doing this work. Every church should be working out how they can become more accessible. But I did think there's sort of a beauty in being able to go, look, if our church isn't there yet on this issue, we are relationally connected with another church that we would love to help you yeah. belong in. Yeah. And not just in a go, here's a website, but to actually meaningfully yeah, help somebody good. connect. That, that's a real benefit of the network thing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today. And uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't subscribed, go and do that. Uh, You can write us a rating, uh, a review. Give us a rating. (laughs) Write us us a a rating. Write us a review. And that helps uh, other people explore what we're talking about here. We'll just return the favor to you, dear listeners. I give a five-star rating. Here's a short review. I like our listeners a lot. There you go. I did it for you. You do it for us. Hey, it's Jamie. Join me and some friends next week for a roundtable discussion where we unpack the ideas from this episode and what they look like in different contexts.